Wholesaling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. All right, greetings and moyen, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier, and today's topic is going to be on estate planning. We haven't covered this really at all, and today's topic was inspired by a question from Jennifer, um, which was a Facebook post that I had asked for people's input on what they want to hear about, and she had asked a really good question, and it kind of related around what should we do as children of aging parents in terms of what, if any, conversations do we need to have with them about estate planning, uh, specifically to real estate. So this is a real estate podcast, so we're going to stick just to real estate. Um, My guest for the day is attorney Brad Haft, who I have had the privilege of knowing for most of my life, certainly all of my professional life. And uh, he's going to answer all my questions about estate planning. So, Brad, take a couple minutes just to introduce yourself to our listeners so they know who the hell you are and what the hell you do. Hi, thanks, Tom. Uh, Again, my name is Brad Haft. I'm an attorney in Port Washington, Wisconsin, born and raised here. Have a general practice law firm of Antoine Haft and Eberhardt. Significant part of my practice does involve uh, estate planning. Uh, Also involves uh, other areas such as uh, business uh, and municipal law. Graduated from Marquette uh, University Law School, both undergrad at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Well, first important question then is, who do you cheer for, Marquette or Wisconsin? Go with my undergraduate time because that's the most time I had for you know watching sports. In law school, you get a little more focused and never was able to attend as many Marquette games as, as I did for Wisconsin. So. so you're more of a Badger than you are, more of a Badger than a Golden Eagle definitely a badger side of for sports. All right, so let's jump into estate planning. And I, I figured we'd start the podcast by telling the listeners what we're not going to talk about. And what we're not going to talk about is I'm not going to ask any questions about power of attorney or healthcare power of attorney. We're not going to talk about divorce situations, although that probably will be a separate podcast just because it's so popular. Um, but we're going to talk about estate planning and why, you know, why people should do it and why it's important and what, what's the benefit of it other than, you know, lawyers get to bill you, of course. All right, so the scenario I'm going to give you is, is fairly popular in my experience. And for purposes of this scenario, we're just going to say that mom and dad passed away of natural causes at the exact same time. So we're not going to deal with survivorship or things like that. But there's four kids. They all live in Wisconsin. Mom and dad just passed away. They have no will. They never put the house in any special title. What's going to happen? First, we do have to look at the title to the property. If mom and dad, they both passed at the, relatively the same time or the same time, you got to see you know, how it's titled. Um, and it may not make much of a difference, in the, but it does impact you know, what the next steps would be or if there's an estate to be filed because there's a presumption uh, or if there's information that one passed immediately before the other, the you know, title may have to go to one to the other. Beyond that, though, when we're looking at a situation where someone dies without a will, there's a process, it's statutory, which means you know the legislator of Wisconsin says, here's what happens when someone dies without a will, and it's called intestate succession. The intestate succession rules basically would say, okay, parents die without a will, 
uh, one or maybe two of those uh, estates would have to be open for, for possibly both parents or maybe for one. Again, that gets a little more technical for the purposes of this discussion. But in the end, the state's going to decide, okay, who, who is potentially going to uh, be a beneficiary under the, uh, the estate that would have to be open that go through probate process. The, the process for intestate succession is, by and large, is the same as if someone did have a will, except you don't have the benefit. If you don't do estate planning, you don't have the benefit of saying, here's how I want my estate to be handled upon my death. And uh, some people are really surprised, uh, you know, what happens, again, on these unfortunate circumstances where there is no will and you have to go through this process. And doesn't matter what mom and dad might have said before they passed or what they wanted, you know, things to happen. It's really going to be then just what, what the process is under the statutes for uh, administering the estate. Again, assuming the real estate is generally the biggest asset in a person's estate, I think that's the scenario we're looking at here. It would probably go to their children under this hypothetical. They would basically, you know, share and share alike uh, as beneficiaries uh, through the intestate succession plan uh, as set forth, you know, by statute. So true or false, the, the whole point of having a will and doing estate planning is to avoid probate. True or false? Uh, that's a false. You don't that's avoid probate by doing a will. A will is the instrument that gets probated, that gets administered through probate. Okay. A trust is another thing that you will, we might can touch on here today is, is a, one of the instruments that you can do to avoid probate. And there's other, right. so there's it's other the, things it's you the can tr- do. It's not the will. It's the, type of, it's the type of trust. And we've got all sorts. And I think for purpose of this podcast, we can't dive into every single kind. But the ones I wrote down, at least that I've had, I've seen come across my desk would be a regular trust, a revocable trust, an irrevocable trust a living trust, a survivor's trust, a family trust, and then I wrote down life estate because I've seen a few of those. And yeah. I probably that's probably, what, half of them that, that exist? Yeah, I, for trust it is. I, I think we probably want to touch on the other mechanism, which is even simpler than a trust, uh, which is a transfer on death deed. And cause, a transfer on death Yes, transfer on death deed, deed where you actually title right. the real estate and you, you indicate who your beneficiary would be upon hmm. passing. And that's a way to also avoid probate. And that's okay. for people that have maybe smaller uh, estates uh, that aren't concerned um, about, you know, the the whole aspect of, you know, having something where you have a trustee and a more advanced planning and what you're going to do. A transfer on death can, can work, um, but it all depends on individual needs of, of the testator that is a person creating the trust. So those, the number of trusts that you've identified, and a lot of those are used interchangeably. Some mean the same thing. Some is just more common use of, of a trust term. Most of all the trusts that we see, and uh, say 95% of all the trusts that are created in Wisconsin are your typical uh, revocable living trust. Sometimes referred to as a, as a living trust, sometimes referred to as just a revocable trust. But that, for the most part, that is what people are creating. There's other okay. situations where you would do an irrevocable trust, but for vast majority of, of people out there, they're, they're going to want to probably just focus on a revocable trust that would essentially avoid uh, going through probate. If it's 
properly funded and it's set up correctly, which is right. some of the things so that... So with all these types of trusts, you do have to have a will that goes along with it, correct? Yeah, there's... Or are those two separate things that will is, don't necessarily have to coexist at the same it's time? It's a really good idea to have a separate document, what we usually call, uh, reference it as a pour-over will, uh, which means in the event you have a trust and you have an asset that doesn't get put into the trust or funded into the trust, mm-hmm. you, have a, you have a backup plan. You have a will that says, okay, anything that doesn't get to the trust is going to go through. If it goes to my will, part of probate, it says put it in the trust. So mm-hmm. uh, that that is the to the extent if you have a trust you don't need a, 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 a an advanced will that the trust instrument should handle all that but it's a good idea to have a will just to make sure something doesn't get into the trust when it's established or even after it's okay. established if someone acquires property or real estate and don't put it in the name of the trust that's one way of still putting it getting into the trust itself. All right. So again, the a summary version of why. You put anything in any type of trust is to avoid probate and um, kind of bypass that whole long, lengthy system of the court determining what to do with the property. And instead, you've already determined what to do with the property in terms of the owner deciding what their wishes are. The trust that's properly funded will be able to, again, not have any supervision of the court. The trustee those who are designated to administer the trust, just like you would in a probate have a PR administer a probate, there's someone there that has to, you know, still handle and follow. Their statutory rules have to be followed. You know, we do offer, and most law firms offer that sort of service to make sure people that are put in a role of acting as a trustee know that, you know, what to do, how to handle it. And, and you know, again, there's, there's several, while it avoids probate, there's several things that have to be done from, not just from an accounting standpoint, but from a tax standpoint also. All right, so here's a situation that I'm sure has never happened. Mom and dad pass away, they have a will, it states what they want to happen. And a couple of the kids say, "Uh, that's not what mom and dad wanted. Mom and dad told me this three weeks before they passed away. Is everything that is in writing, you know, the uh, document that you move ahead with or does what mom and dad said verbally to certain kids have any legal effect on what happens with their estate? The general answer is, unless it's in the will, specifically in the document that's being administered through probate, it, there's really of no consequence if mom or dad said something to a child or even wrote something down on a piece of paper yeah, you know, we do see a lot of times, unfortunately, where people try to write their own will, and hmm. they'll do a nice job, you know, writing something out. It'd be rather detailed, but they don't follow some of the formalities that are acquired by law. So therefore, it doesn't go through probate. It's it's as if hmm. they didn't, as if they died without a will. So it's so pretty drastic measures. Um, Wisconsin still doesn't allow wills to go through probate unless they're, again, they meet certain statutory procedures. Um, That piece of paper is, that original will has to be the document that's available. If that's that's lost, uh, there's not much else you can do. I think in the years to come, you'll have a situation where, you know, with technology and such, you'll have ways of administering without, without that piece of paper. 
probably safe to say that uh, besides doing estate planning and, and doing it well, it's probably just as important to update your will and your wishes and things that change. Sure. No, it, it's a great, you know, it's something once you have it in place it's, and you can have peace of mind, you know, let it go for a little bit. But it's something every five, maybe 10 years, depending on every person's, you know, individual circumstances, if they have kids or, you know, certain life changes, looking at time to update or review it. Um, I just met with a client not too long ago where she has a revocable trust and she's had some changes in, in her life. And now the question is, does she really need to trust? Because she sold the home. She do, no longer owns the real estate. So she's got some proceeds from the home that are in her uh, trust account. But but then it's a point of, do we defund the trust? Because it doesn't look like she's going to need an estate. You know, she has a will, but do we really need to keep a trust if it's going to be, you know, not worth the uh, effort of administering it? Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. You know, in the investment world, and you know that we work with a lot of investment properties, we see a lot of investment properties titled by LLCs or corporations. With estate planning, do you ever is it ever a benefit for you to advise your clients to place property in LLCs as part of an estate planning versus trusts? Sure, they. I mean, they can go hand in hand. You can have a situation certainly for business uh, or investment purposes. People that, that you know invest in real estate, uh, you want to have a LLC or some company that's a holding uh, entity for it. It makes sense, you know, to have that. Uh, a trust is not going to shield people from individual potential liability where an LLC, again, assuming there's some business purpose behind it, is is gonna provide, if it's done correctly, provide that layer of protection. So you'll be able to, again, ha have the benefit of con having that property entitled in, a, in an LLC, but you can still have your trust own the LLC itself. So they, do, they can work okay. together if they're properly set up. All right. So you use the word shield, which I wrote down, and I think that's probably the intent of a lot of what you do is to shield the property. Mm -hmm. So I'm going back to my uh, original scenario where mom and dad own the house free and clear. It's worth $200,000. they have got four children, and mom and dad now need to go into assisted care. Yeah. It's going to be super expensive. Is there a way to shield and protect that $200,000 house as opposed to the alternative of them selling the house and paying the $200,000 to the healthcare provider? Yeah, so that's a question that comes up often. Um, that's a question that really would require a separate discussion from just how to title real estate and estate planning. 
you're talking about Title 19 planning where there may be a situation where someone is going to be going into a nursing home situation. Uh, state of Wisconsin, you know, Title 19, also known as Medicaid, there are specific rules as to what happens. The state of Wisconsin essentially you know, has a lien and seeks recovery for benefits that it pays for someone that receives, you know, that sort of Medicaid assistance. So, yeah, that's a that's a good question, but it's one of those that almost can't even touch on. And quite frankly, it's a it's an area of law that I really recommend my clients to meet with a um, somewhat a specialist uh, who handles with Title 19 issues and uh, making sure it's done properly because it's okay to you know, to do some planning, but you got to be careful you're not, you know, evading or, or, you know, violating the law by by doing certain things that would uh, be considered uh, a conveyance or transfer Mm -hmm. that's not uh, compliant. Basically, Title 19 and Medicaid is an entirely complicated process uh, when it comes to trying to protect the value of your house and shield it and, you know. Right. Similar note to that is people that come to us and say, I just want to transfer. I'm good health. I just want to gift my house to my kids. I want them to own it because similar vein, they're thinking down the road something might happen or they just don't want to deal with it anymore. So th- that's a pretty drastic uh, discussion, conversation they have with, with potential clients on, on those issues um, because once you do a gift, it's a gift. And uh, again, it does come up. I had one recently where where the, that was done, uh, it was done several years ago, actually over a decade ago by another attorney. And the uh, unfortunate thing is the one of the uh, children didn't survive the, the, the mother who, who did the gift. And it came out that, you know, that son now has a one-fourth interest in her home that's probably going to go to his estranged wife. <laughs> and not stay within the family. So those are the things, those are those you know, examples of significant consequences that may be not foreseen or certainly not intended when, when structuring something like that. So be very careful if you're going down that path. So are there any advantages to a homeowner gifting or use the word transfer upon death, um, their home to not necessarily kids, but to you know, entities, whether it be a school or a church or a nonprofit or a company, is there any advantage to doing that? Or does that come down to pretty much case by case, whatever they're passionate about, you know, having their their wealth go to? It, it's difficult to say. It sounds, most cases where people are, are leaving uh, assets to nonprofits, and if it's a real estate asset, um, they're probably doing it they're with some more advanced uh, estate planning. Um, it may be, again, gifts and, and, and uh, bequests left to nonprofits are, are certainly like any other person can receive them, but they're, they're not something you see uh, too often unless you have a really you know, if, you know, high wealth situation. I mean, and for federal estate planning purposes at this time, you know, you're talking you know, over 12 million per individual or over 24 million per, per married couple. So, so again, sometimes it's done just out of the generosity, kindness. People leave things for a church or a nonprofit, but it's not, it's not something that um, typically is being done for any other reason, unless it's you know for possible tax deduction or, or you know 
just out of goodness of their heart, they're leaving it for, for a cause. All right. So you used the word tax a couple times, and that's probably a super important, simple question I think all of my listeners want to know. So I'm going to keep it a very simple question. It's the same situation. Mom and dad have passed away. Mom and dad have a $200,000 home with no mortgage. They have no other debt. Each kid is entitled to roughly $50,000 that will come from the proceeds of that home. Do those four children pay tax on that $50,000 that they are each due yeah. when they split up the two hundred grand? So, again, hypothetically, uh, <laughs> there's... At death, if they receive their share of their parents' estate, at death, under current laws, there's a step-up in basis. So while that house, hypothetically, again, I think it's, what, 200000 And if yep. there's four kids, they, if they have a $50,000 value. And it, the, the value is the date of death value. And mm-hmm. it's not what mom and dad paid for it, you know, 40 years ago, which might have been... Hundred thousand, ten thousand, or ten thousand even oh. more. Yeah. Yes. So, so it's it's what happens at death, and that date of death value under current laws, you you're allowed to step up in basis. So those four children actually their cost basis, if it goes through probate, if it goes through whether you know through a will or intestate succession, they are allowed to get a step up in basis under current laws, which means. They having a higher cost basis of fifty thousand. They get a value of fifty thousand. Their cost basis is essentially fifty thousand. When they go to sell it, and if they never lived there or other ways to exempt or avoid the capital gains, um, they wouldn't really have a you know much of a capital gain. Certainly not as much as if if mom and dad would have gave that property while they're living and it's just a gift to them. Their cost basis would have transferred from from the parents to the kids. Whether it was ten thousand when they you know acquired the property or a hundred thousand, but there would be potentially a huge capital gain event later on because you don't get that step up in basis. Wow, that was a really long, complicated answer to a really simple question. Um, so unfortunately, that's, I think the that's answer. The way it goes. I think your answer was no. My question was: Do those four kids pay tax in the fifty grand? I think you were saying no. They do not. They can They're, have the 50000 bucks. The house was sold yeah. immediately. They had some awesome real estate agent out there that sold the house super quick, and the 200000 was available immediately. Each kid gets fifty grand, and I think your answer was no. Those kids do not have to pay tax on that 50000 bucks. Yeah, probably no capital gains tax, probably no federal state tax, unless you're talking you know, extremely high wealth situation. And this comes up a lot on the internet and I get asked it in Wisconsin is an executor of the estate and a personal representative of the estate. The same thing in Wisconsin, the official term is personal representative. Uh, I see a lot of documents on the internet and people will ask me that same question. They have a document or a form book that they may have used something in and, and you'll see the word executor used quite often, but it's in Wisconsin, the, uh, really the term when it comes down to it is personal representative. Yeah, I have it all the time. I'm certainly not going to tell clients what they are or they are not, but they tell me I'm the executor of the estate. And I always want to say, well, I think you mean you're the personal representative of the estate. But in their defense, they probably live in another state where I think the term executor might be a common word. You're probably correct on that. And I think the biggest problem that I see with people is they know they're named as a personal representative in their mom or dad's will. And after mom and dad have passed, They'll say, well, I'm doing this as their personal representative, but 
but you have to go through the courts. You don't automatically become a personal representative. You need to get appointed by a court through the probate process. Um, it's called domiciliary letters. Once those are issued by the court, you're able then to uh, act as personal representative. But you don't, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't have to wait for the court to appoint you as personal representative if you have your estate planning done ahead of time. That will already be spelled out, correct? That's only if you have a trust and you're acting as a trustee. If you're a personal representative, even in a will situation, you still have to wait till you're appointed by the court to officially uh, take action as personal representative. So let's talk about that because that was going to be my next question in terms of the timing. And I'm trying to get my listeners to um, understand that the whole point, again, correct me if I'm wrong, of doing estate planning is to avoid probate, spell out you know, the wishes of mom and dad, and have the timeline go a little bit smoother. Because if you don't have any of this done, and it has to go through probate, tell me about what's the typical timeline for a, a property to go through probate that had no estate planning versus one that did. So the timing has to do whether it stays in formal probate or informal probate. Okay. So most of the time you can go through what we call informal probate. Now the steps with intestate succession, there's some more things that have to go through, but in theory, the timing of it uh, shouldn't be as much as the difference between having a will or not having a will. It's more to do with what type of assets or other assets that are in the estate that usually determine how much time is it going to be needed to go through and, mm-hmm. and you know, to do the final counting and, and have the uh, um, estate uh, uh, basically closed, you know, for distribution of assets. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Your scenario before where they sell the property, the four kids get their 50000 that doesn't mm-hmm. work quite like that. The estate gets all the all the proceeds of the sale, and when after all the expenses are paid and other uh, items uh, for the estate, that's at the end. Usually, there's a distribution that would you know handle that. Uh, there's cases where maybe a partial distribution could be done before the estate is closed, but uh, that's the one thing people have to understand that just because their name is a beneficiary doesn't mean that that personal representative can just cut them a check right out of the closing proceeds. Right. So, and tell me if I sound crazy, but I would say in my experience that when I'm um, helping sell a property that was part of an estate that was set up well with an attorney and everything was spelled out and it was a living trust, I've seen estates get closed and distributed in six months. And I have seen other properties that have literally been over two years since, you know, either mom or dad have passed away and there was no planning and the court doesn't really know who to appoint to what. Does that sound, am I talking crazy or is that realistic situation? Yeah, it shouldn't, the latter shouldn't be that way, but it happens. And a lot of times yeah. there's, there's so many factors that come into play because if they don't have one part done, there's other issues that always arise and, you know, it, it's going to cause delays. Um, having it done up front and having it done up front can also save a lot of stress for the families um, because you have it on paper and people right. tend to behave better and understand this is what you know mom and dad intended under under that scenario where they both you know died um you know the one thing we haven't touched on is what happens just when the first spouse passes because that's really you know probably the most common thing that we see where right. you know married couple and one of them 
recently passes and then you have a surviving spouse. Um, a lot of people ask, do we need to open a, a probate for that? And the answer generally is no. Generally in Wisconsin, for most property, people know that if you have the title properly as joint tenants as husband and wife or with marital property with right of survivorship, after that first spouse passes, it's going to vest immediately upon death in the surviving spouse. There's still a form that needs to get filed with through the Register of Deeds Office for termination of decedent's interest, but that basically takes the title and puts it in the surviving spouse's name. And so there's a lot of times with proper estate planning, there's no estate that has to go through probate when the first spouse passes. It's, it can be done through, again, through termination of decedent's interest and anything else through, again, Wisconsin being a marital property law state to hopefully not have to go through probate after the first spouse passes. All right. Next question isn't, I don't know if it's a legal question or not, but the question is, what do we as 50-something-year-olds do or should we do in terms of talking to our parents about this sort of thing? I mean, do do the children have, is it their, do they have any legal responsibility or authority to even approach mom and dad and say, hey, guys, like, if I'm going to be your your heir, I need you to yeah. have this set up properly. Yeah. It's a good thing for most families to have, but it, but it comes down to it's going to be up to mom and dad. If mom and dad are being responsible and say we want to make sure things are covered for when we're when we're gone, and you know one thing they can do before they go is have a power of attorney created. That's where I get more usually where the the children will call mom and dad's. You know we'll we'll say they'll call and they'll say I'm so and so's power of attorney. Then we usually have to find out, is it already been active or are you just named in a document to handle the situation? If mom and dad, if they can't take care of their uh, affairs while they're living, then you have this power of attorney. But it does come down to answer your question, really what mom and dad want. If they're going to meet with an attorney, we tell people all the time, you know, mom and dad have to agree to have their kids be in that meeting. And we want to make sure mom and dad are only doing what mom and dad want to do with their with their estate. But I think kids can have a, a good influence and re- remind their parents and vice versa, just as I have it where older parents that remind their younger adults, especially who are maybe recently married and with children, get your estate planning in order. Make sure you, again, it's, things don't go as planned in life and, and you need it. And it's good to have that all addressed ahead of time. Okay. I'm going to ask another simple question. I hope you don't make it a long, legal, complicated answer, but we're going back to, I'm keeping it very simple. Same thing. Mom and dad passed away. Mom and dad didn't have one house. They had 10 houses, 10 homes, all free and clear, each worth $200,000, same four children. So there is now $2 million in real estate sales, and the kids are now going to inherit not $50,000. They're inheriting $500,000 from the mom and dad. Do they pay tax on that half a million dollars? It's the same analysis as before. The answer is no. I mean, it. it, okay. it but it. it dep- so it doesn't matter whether it, they're inheriting fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, or five million dollars. Yeah. When you use the word tax, you know, tax can be capital gains tax. Tax can be federal state tax. In Wisconsin, you know, again, we're talking for there to be a federal estate tax, it has to be much more than that. We're talking you know, 24 million plus, 12 million individually. Those numbers are going to change. There's a sunset provision. They're going to almost cut in half in, in, in a little over a year. 
Um, mm. But right now, you're talking significant dollars before you get to be worried about federal estate tax. Okay. So you shouldn't be, my listeners should not be worried about inheriting property. They're not going to you know, inherit property nope. and have That's a, a, great. a very large liability. Although, um, correct, if they do inherit property that is encumbered, that's a good question. I wasn't even thinking of asking you that, but all right, here we go. $200,000 house, mm-hmm. four kids, mom and dad passed away. Turns out mom and dad owe two hundred and fifty grand on the house. Mm-hmm. They do have it in a living trust, so it goes to the four children, but now you know the bank is owed 250000 Are those kids responsible for the difference of $50,000 between the house value and what the bank is owed? Yeah, well, the bank's going to have what we call a mortgage on the property. They're not going to have a interest in that home unless unless they have a security you know for it so even though it's in a trust that trust is still subject to any mortgage that is out there uh that it's a lien against the property so those kids in that scenario they're not gonna they're not gonna receive anything because the trustee of the trust is gonna have to probably sell the house or you know work something out and with the bank to uh to uh turn it over so, again, you get a complicated answer. Is the bank going to go after those four kids for the balance due of 50000 bucks after the bank only gets 200000 No, the, the kids are just beneficiaries. They don't owe anything to the bank, okay? Right. So it's just an issue of that property is never going to be transferred to those kids. It's going to have right. to probably be handled through a sale or or a deed in lieu to the bank. Yep. So it's a good idea or bad idea to do estate planning with you? Well, um, you can tell how complicated it gets. So I would say it's a good idea to do estate planning with me or any law firm that that does a fair amount of estate planning, not just estate planning, but I think that handles probate and trust administration just to make sure they understand how things actually work when someone does die. You know, we do see uh, estate planning attorneys that, that don't do both, and sometimes you can tell you know, how they set things up may not be the best scenario. So right. someone that's experienced in, in dealing with not just setting up people's estates but also the administration after people are gone. So if any of these listeners want to reach out and talk to you about sitting down and doing some estate planning, how are they going to find you? One, on our website at www with lawfirm.com or you can call us at 262-284-2664. Again, all the attorneys at my office are well qualified and do advise people in the areas of estate planning and certainly we'd be happy to assist. So that's W I S L A W F I R M one word. That's how you find uh, Brad goes by B Rad also. So um, if you do have a consultation with him, uh, feel free to address him as B Rad. Yeah, um, we're pretty we informal. We're informal here, so I appreciate that, Tom. Yeah, well, you know, how I'll leave your nicknames are, out so. too. All right. Well, with that being said, we'll wrap it up. You know, it's funny. I've been adjusting my closing line for the last couple podcasts. My closing line is always to use a local lender. And it probably makes sense for this podcast to say, always use a local attorney. It'll make everything go a little bit smoother for you. So thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. 
If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.